As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague from The Athletic, Stuart Mandel. We are taping this uh, the morning after the first college football playoff rankings have come out. Ohio State, not a big shock, I don't think, is coming in at number one. Any issue with that, Stu? Uh, I don't actually think they're the best team, but they have the best resume, so why not? You know, this used to be, I feel like, Everybody eagerly anticipated those rankings and they would get ticked off about something. But I don't know if it was because it was on Halloween or just the fact that a lot of this stuff's going to work itself out. I, I don't really feel that strongly about the rankings. Do you? I don't either. And I, for what you just said, I mean, look, uh, people look at Ohio State and go, ah, I don't feel like this is like the Ohio State team even of last year. But the truth is they won at Notre Dame. They beat a really talented Penn State team. Even last week, they beat Wisconsin on the road by two touchdowns. I get it. Wisconsin has three losses. But if you're looking at Georgia, Georgia's best win is over a three-loss Florida team that's lost by double digits all three times. Um, they had their hands full against South Carolina for a while, and South Carolina is two and six. So I, th- if you ask me who I think would win head-to-head between Georgia and Ohio State, I would expect georgia to win but we got to go off resume at least to this point i think well georgia over the next three weeks will play three teams that are in the committee's top 25 starting with missouri this week Ole Miss is their number 10 team so you know at some point if they win those games at some point they'll move to one it's very temp this one feels very temporary it doesn't feel like it's staking anybody staking their claims to anything just yet no i think i'm more interested in are we calling it spygate what's the what do, do we have a name for the michigan story right now um so the latest twist, and it's a really bizarre one, is pictures surfaced on Monday of a guy who looks a lot like Connor Stallions on the sideline for Central Michigan in their opening game against Michigan State, dressed exactly like the Central Michigan coaches with the clipboard. Um, somehow he got a pass, this person, they haven't confirmed that it's him, but it's definitely not somebody at Central Michigan, or they would have said that by now. Got himself a pass, got himself the exact coaching uniform that everybody else was wearing. And uh, I assume used that opportunity to look, you know, spy on Michigan State's signals. 
How do you how do you do that? How do you pull that off? What do you mean? How do you pull it off? It doesn't sound like he did. Well, he he did until two days ago. Like, um, there's one picture, and he's not that far from Jim McElwain. And I asked you this offline. Does a program like Central Michigan, much less a Power Five program, have so many low-level guys that Jim McElwain doesn't even know who they all are? That well, he wouldn't think, even notice, like, who's that guy? I think the thing that's kind of interesting here, and Jim McElwain, you know, after his game, said they had no knowledge of it. But there's a there's a lot of overlap with the Central Michigan staff and the Michigan staff. One of Jim McElwain's top defensive assistants spent a bunch of time working for Jim Harbaugh. Their quarterback coach uh was a spent i think it was a student assistant at, at at michigan for a while so i think there's probably a bunch of people who know a bunch of people there um having said all that some of those people absolutely should know is like hey we cannot have somebody who works for a different big 10 team on our sidelines for that you know it's just that is definitely a bizarre subplot in a in a story that has a lot of really bizarre subplots i mean you're looking at it and again if this is in fact connor stallions i mean there's pictures that make him almost look like a a young ed norton in in this you know like where you kind of see the um the look and i'm like man this is just that's a good good call he does look like it it's it's just like one of my all-time favorite movies is fletch where he sneaks into all these places wearing these ridiculous you know disguises this is like that come to life. Like this guy's, it's almost like a Halloween outfit. Uh, he drove, he went and dressed as a central Michigan coach. The, um, the part of this story. I though, love the one where he's pumping his fist and celebrating. Probably central Michigan had a big play. So he played along. I mean, look, part of this also, and I don't think it's this, but like this guy we know grew up a diehard Michigan fan. I'm guessing he hates Michigan state. So whether it's central Michigan or Northern Michigan, if they were doing well against Michigan state, I'm guessing that probably warmed his heart. I suspect um, when you, you know, looking at this, this part of it, it definitely feels like this is something like anybody in the leadership at Ohio, at Michigan, who would have looked at that and go, okay, we kind of know, like, this is a bad idea. Like this definitely, and again, feels rogue. This feels like a rogue component of this. And it doesn't, doesn't excuse a lot of other stuff that is linked to this but it does if it is that case it would be like man no one like no one signed off on this i can't imagine if they did but it's a yeah it's a good if you're a michigan fan who's holding out hope that nobody else will get implicated that this guy was just kind of a loop doing this on his own like maybe maybe this is your exam this is this would be a, a, a sign of that no pun intended yeah um Okay, so Max and I, Max Olson and I spent a lot of time in the last week plus working on an extensive survey talking. We talked to 50 coaches, many head coaches, some not from every conference in the country to get their perspective on this. And there's a bunch of stuff that, you know, we were all we were interested to kind of get their perspective on and get the context. But one of the things that I think is relevant here is a stumbling point for a lot of coaches as they assess this is one of the questions we asked was is there any plausible deniability possibly for jim harbaugh and not all like i think we interviewed 13 head coaches i think eight of them said no which means you know five of them thought uh maybe because you know we had a couple guys go you know what 
I don't know everything that goes on in my building. And by the way, some of those coaches are in much smaller buildings and operations than Jim Harbaugh. But the issue that really gave a lot of people pause and has a lot of people not buying it is a guy whose title is he works in the recruiting department would be so close on game day to, you know, you see plenty of times where he's around Jim Harbaugh, certainly right next to Jesse Minner, the defensive coordinator. And the question is going to be, why would you have such faith that this guy knows it so well to not go, how does he know it? So like to not have any hesitation in this, that, yeah, maybe there's coming from something more than just, he's really good at getting TV copy and breaking it down and finding little tells. And again, some of the coaches I spoke to and Max also were like this, there's no way if I I'd have some non on the field guy around me so much in the middle of a game, it just doesn't work that way. I mean, first of all, people should go to the athletics, subscribe to the athletic. This story is, this survey is comprehensive and fascinating. And you know, what stands out to me is if you're, you know, you see, I know Twitter is a bad barometer of things, but obviously there's been a lot of, was well, this really that big a deal? I mean, would this really give you that big an advantage? And these coaches overwhelmingly say yes. Um, and to the point of you actually ask them how many points, first of all, you asked the Michigan's success since 2021 owed in part to illegal sign stealing overwhelmingly. Yes. 37. Yes. No. 11 unsure too um and then below that how many points would michigan's alleged signal stealing operation be worth in an average game again the uh did anybody say zero that's not on here um there were a few that just were like we're not sure there there was a couple who were like eh i don't you still have to block you still have to tackle but it's like at some point there's a third down play where you have the answers and you, you know, you have gotcha moments or you have you have a shot play that you have set up. And so I think that they're, it's hard for them to say that it had zero impact. So, you, you know, got now, go ahead. one of the one coach said this specifically, but another one echoed it pretty similarly, which was we've gone into games where we had everything they had and yet. We've still lost. You know, so now would you have lost by 42 points if you didn't have it as opposed to losing by 10? You know, I don't know the answer to that. No, people aren't really sure how to, some guys were more, you know, we had a, I had a bunch of guys I talked to who were like, yeah, it's 21 points. They felt like it was that big of a thing. And I, I don't know, if, you know, if you remember this, but like back in the day when you and I worked together at Fox, I rem I thought you were there with me when we'd sat next to Todd Furman, who was, you know, a, mm -hmm. a handicapper. And it was interesting to me to find out how little, a starting quarterback was worth on the point spread. You know, it was just like in my head, I'm thinking, oh, if it's, you know, if it's a borderline all American quarterback, it's like three touchdowns. It was like, no, it's not, you know, it's not worth that much. Stuff like this, at least in the coach's eyes, and they're honestly more experts than anybody, um, definitely felt it was, it was strong. You know, and so far I'm just reading, all, you know, I've, I've shared some of the data, but what the reason this story is so interesting is all the quotes, all the anonymous quotes. And these coaches come out strong. I mean, you're shooting fish in a barrel, the defensive coach said. If I was able to do what Michigan was doing, that would be the difference between big-time winning and losing. If 
you filmed all the signals from a game, you take that and put it in the film system, match up the play-by-play with what the opponent is running, and then, I mean, it's over. Having steady film of the signals during game would be mind-blowing. Um, and there's a bunch. There's a bunch like that. So, you know, I know Dion got a lot of traction for his quote where he's like, you still got to stop them. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem to be reflective. Uh, you know, nobody has come out on the record at a press conference and scolded them because that's not what coaches do. But if you give them anonymity, I mean, it's it's pretty um, – it's easy to call plays when you know what the defense is at a Pac-12 head coach. It's a huge deal that someone went to another game and filmed all their signals. That's Spygate stuff. They are flying around the country. It's crazy. And then some of them get into, you know, what they should be punished. Couple, Somebody brought up exactly what I've been saying about Big Ten sportsmanship. Um, so the coaching community as a whole is is pretty uh, offended by this, to say the least. Will it actually result in serious punishments? No idea. The uh, so selection the committee that- chair, Bo Corrigan, was asked about it last night and basically punted it, as I thought he would, said that's an NCAA issue, not a CFP issue. So it's not going to affect Michigan's ranking. Um, so that's that's the million dollar question. You know, are probably going to be punished. What it will be, I have no idea. One of the coaches Max spoke to had said, and I had I had a little of this, but not as specific as he did from the people I had talked to. But said, you know what? Are you going to punish JJ McCarthy for this? Being like, I think some of the coaches are like, yeah, Jim Harbaugh deserves to be punished. And certainly whoever else, if they're involved, but that's the coaches. I don't, you know, I think there's a lot of the coaches have a hard time punishing the players. Some came back for this. And I get that. I mean, to me, that holds up a few other things that were interesting to me um, in our findings. One there are some there there are some I don't say evidence, but there are some folks who said that they know of some similar situations that Michigan, in terms of advanced scouting that has gone on, what you know you mean uh, at other schools, correct. And more than a handful told me of people going to their spring games and filming stuff. Um, there's stuff we've heard of filming walkthroughs. Uh, there's the the part that is different with Michigan from our intel on this is one um, that it's the scope of this. It's honestly the sloppiness of this. I mean, there's one quote from a Sunbelt coach who was like, you know, and I, this is the one I mentioned on big noon where it's like, basically they should be punished for sheer stupidity. They would not have gotten caught for years. They could have done this for years and years if they were not so careless and reckless how they did this. But there's there's definitely some people I know who've, who've worked at places who have some some very uh, you know ugly uh, ugly comments too, and so there's that piece of it. The other thing was one of the questions we asked was on a scale of one to ten when it comes to the college football cheating you know nefarious acts business, where do you rate this? There was a lot of sevens. Which was interesting because I was like, this felt initially when I saw that when we talked about our questions, this felt very similar to the, the first question, which is on a scale of one to five, one being not serious and five being very serious. How serious do you think this is? And we got obviously a lot of fives and only two of the 50, 40, you know, two of the 50 coaches said it was less than a three. But still, we had some a bunch of sevens and things like that. And what was pointed out was 
there are worse things that coaches see. Coaches hate tampering. They feel like that is way dirtier than this. When co- when co- coaches are recruiting off players off off their rosters and then offering um, deals for them, that to them is much worse. Um, and I get that. That doesn't surprise me. But there was a few who were really outspoken about that. Um, another thing that came up and it was interesting because Max and I both got this independent, like it was we two different people we talked to similar thing. It actually involved, you know, another program where it was like, they are using technology in ways they are not allowed to use it, making in-game halftime adjustments. And that they think is really bad. Um, and I don't know how you catch that. You know, and so, and then there was like some other, one of the coaches Max talked to, and I get, I totally would buy this was like, yeah, we have some people who, who do who have some horrible behavior to how they treat some of the players. And that also would, you know, again, that's not an on the field thing necessarily, but all this stuff, you know, as we were kind of outlining, it was like, here we go. We are getting context for what this actually is. I know Michigan fans aren't going to like it. Um, I get it. There's actually some stuff. If I was a Michigan fan, I probably would be like, okay, I see some people pointing out that there's probably some other people who are doing this. They're just not as apparently brazen and clueless as some of our people were in how they yeah. did. Yeah, I get, I mean, I get that. And look, there's nothing, you know, you talk about putting a point value on sign stealing. It's not going to compare to the, the point value of getting a huge transfer portal kid who changes your whole season. And so I absolutely understand why they are frustrated with tampering NIL deals, all that. But how do you, that the problem with that is the NCAA is never going to be able to stamp, you know, yeah, this, like, this, yeah, this, this was literally a case that was handed to the, like, yeah, by like, an outside firm uh, an outside firm just handed them all the evidence, right? Tampering, you know, unless somebody, some staff is dumb enough to, you know, I guess the equivalent would be if they had a big sheet or a big Google Doc of, you know, here's the 50 rec- portal kids we want. Here's, the only here's thing how, when we contacted it. them, you know, yeah. Yeah, the only thing on that, though, is, you know, I've talked to coaches who say they've turned in people who have um, documented proof of some coach tampering, right? And so I think, you know, again... I think just going back to even, um, you know, back to the Nevin Shapiro days of the Miami scandal, it's like it takes or or Albert Means, it takes somebody who is um, aggrieved or, you know, Reggie Bush case, you know, they, they he pissed off the handlers or whatever. And that's how, it, you know, yeah. they went to NFL, NFL draft reporters or whatever who who chased it. I think it takes something like that, you know, to yep. things to come to light. And that's um, or it takes probably too much like hand wringing about it. And then somebody else is like, yeah, I don't like how you're dealing with this. Somebody's going to, you know, get their comeuppance for this or whatever. Now, whether the NCAA can do it, whether, what, the, what the Big Ten's going to do, that remains to be seen. There's almost always a jilted party that that leads to NCAA. um investigations punishments the other thing with tampering is like it's actually you know you said that they're turning these things in and they're not doing anything about it i mean i think it's considered a pretty minor violation so it would probably is it 
I mean, it's not, it's not like amongst very, coaches, very, no, that's what I'm, I'm saying in the NCAA bylaws, like you would need, um, like nobody's getting fired for tampering. So you would need the NCAA, you know, as an organization, and this would be the members to say, you know what, this is a really serious issue. Um, we think this should be a level one thing. We think coaches should face severe consequences for it. And then if they get a text message that shows a coach directly tampering, then the guy could be in real trouble. But I think right now, probably, I always have this mental image of the NCAA enforcement department. It's not very big. There's like 10 guys sitting around an office and just, a you know, every day, all day, they're getting tips and floods and they have to like prioritize. And clearly they, they took the Michigan thing very seriously. They've already begun doing interviews. And I, I could just see it like, you know, I would imagine if, you know, some Sunbelt coach provided them with texts that show specifically that a SEC coach was tampering with one of their players. It just like sits in somebody's inbox for three years. Um, it's, it's, if the coaches are this concerned about it, they need to, their, their AFCA or whatever needs to raise it to the appropriate people and get, get it, you know, taken more seriously. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, the other one I want a story in this week I want to bring up, Bruce, on Monday, Dabo Sweeney has his, you know, coach's call-in show. And this guy, Tyler from Spartanburg, calls in. And, you know, if you've heard the audio, it's kind of like a message board poster come to life. I wouldn't even say he really had a question. It was more of a rant, a rambling rant about his Dabo. Why are we paying? He just kept bringing up the salary. Why are we paying you $11.5 million to go four and four? And he started getting kind of personal, like, you know, you became arrogant after the 2018 national title game. You hire all your buddies as coaches. So eventually Dabo cuts him off, says, I've heard enough, and comes down, you know, pretty forcefully. Um, Most of it was kind of defending his track record there. You know, like, it's not the first time I've heard him say something like, you're part of the problem. It's a pretty good track, Yeah, it's a pretty good track. You know, he can rattle off like how many other programs have won two national titles in the last seven years. And, you know, Clemson had had never hadn't done this in 35 years. I mean, 
no, it stands on stands on its own. Um, there were a couple pot shots in there that you would say were punching down to um to the caller. But my, you know, I came away from it. At first I saw the some of the quotes floating around Twitter and I was like, oh God, that's you know, that's a really bad look. And then I listened to it and I was like, I don't, I don't blame him for going off on that guy. The only thing I really take exception to is that he continues to downplay this all as you know, we're just having one bad year. You know, you're going to get all, uh, you're going to discredit all that stuff because we're having a bad year. And it's like, well, yeah, you're this. This is a bad, particularly bad year, but come on, it's been sliding for a few years now. He brought up that they won the ACC last year. They did win the ACC last year, but clearly he wasn't. He himself thought something was wrong. He fired his offensive coordinator after it. Um, what you've yet to hear from Dabo, and maybe it'll come after the season. Maybe it'll never come. Is some sort of acknowledgement that. You know, we've gotten away from from the standard that we had here for so many years. And, you know, I need to do some soul searching and some, um, you know, we got to sit down after the season and really think about it because we're going to want to make sure the fans realize like we, we we're aware we're not oblivious. We're going to get this thing back to where it was, you know, bear with us. But instead, it's just come on, we're just having one down year. Everything's fine. Don't don't get on us for one bad year. It's a little bit of um denial there that if I'm a Clemson fan, I'd be a little frustrated with. Yeah. I mean, look to, you know, in Dabo's credit, you know, nobody would have believed Clemson was going to win a national title when Dabo Sweeney became the head coach. Right. And much less win multiple ones, much less. I'm looking at this between 2015 and 2020, they had six seasons where the worst season was they finished fourth. Nobody saw that coming other than Dabo Sweeney at Clemson. So if that guy, being Dabo, believes 100% that that'll get back and this is just a blip, I get it. Because um, I go back to something a coach once told me. It was like when we talked about ego, it was like these guys are the ones who think, you know what, I'm the guy who can fix it. You know, like I like when I worked on swing your sword with leech, we had a very interesting discussion about the ego and it was very eye opening for me because I think Mike was, I don't want to know if I would say he was self aware enough to say this or whatever, but he was like, he knew that ego is a loaded thing, but at the same time, it, and it has a lot of negative connotations for much how, you know, it's like, you know, fits into the category of the man in the arena kind of vibe too, right? Where people on the outside are going to take shots, um, whether that's Tyler on the radio show or us or whoever, or fans and, you know, whatnot. And that comes with the territory. But I do think there is something to be about like, hey, you know, I know better than you guys do because you wouldn't have thought I could have done this in the first place. And I think that's kind of where probably a lot of this comes from. Um, I don't... But at some point, you're, you know, most coaches end up getting fired. And I'm not saying Dabo's going to get fired anytime soon um, or at all. But I, I get, I guess I'm saying is I get the pushback. I get all this. The truth is they're two and four in the ACC this year. And it wouldn't surprise me if they go seven and five this year or whatever. The question is going to be, does he or somebody close to him convince him, okay, you made a big change last year to, to fire an offense coordinator who was close to you. And now 
And it's, and it's, you know, Garrett Riley is not, he's struggling there right now. Everything's struggling. So I, I'm interested to see how Dabo, we've talked a ton about Dabo's approach or lack of one to transfer portal stuff. I don't think that's the only fix that probably needs to happen, but you know, these are all, these are all things that people are kind of fascinated by. And I get why, because we just haven't seen a drop off like this in a while that didn't have mm-hmm. coach leaving or some kind of scandal tied to it. I feel like I'm watching the ACC version of David Shaw, right? Like you mentioned ego. And, I disagree and- on this. Can I, I'm going to push back just off that, but I haven't explained it yet. Okay, go ahead. And then I'll then I'll jump out of my seat. Go ahead. Okay. Obviously, Dabo won nationals, right? So exact comparison. But you know, I watched it firsthand here where there was an erosion, a clear erosion from what they had been, which was pretty good. And David Shaw just kept coming back to the same people, um, kind of just like denying that there wasn't even a really a problem, um, blaming it on other factors like university policy, injuries, COVID, you name it. Um, and eventually, you know, he's not there anymore. Like he didn't get fired, but he kind of saw the writing on the wall and I've seen this other places too. I mean, these coaches, like you said, like I, I didn't forget how to coach. I'm, I have the answers. Um, but first you have to accept that there's something that needs to be fixed. And, um, I don't think David Shaw ever saw it that way. It doesn't seem like Dabo sees it that way. The reason Alabama, I think, you know, you can attribute many reasons why Alabama has the success they do under Nick Saban, but to sustain it for this long is because he's almost looking for those things before they even happen. He's always a step ahead. He's had coaching assistant coaching changes where I'm like, but you lost one game last year. You really really feel the need to make that change. He's, he's, he's making those moves before it starts to have an effect on the program. And he's rare in that in that sense. The difference for me on the David Shaw example is is a couple of things. One, David Shaw took over. Harbaugh was actually the one who built that thing into a powerhouse from nothing. I'm not saying I don't. I'm not saying David Shaw doesn't deserve any credit in this, but you know, like Dabo was the one who got it out of the ditch. You know, that thing was rolling when when David Shaw got it. And what I think is different also was. Dabo lost some assistance, you know, and the staff changed. And I think that part is, is why it's different. Also Stanford. Well, same thing though happened at Stanford. Mike Bloom leaving was a big deal. Yeah. Um, I just, I just, my point of it though, is like, you know, that wasn't David Shaw's build. That was Harbaugh's build. David Shaw did a, I mean, but this, this was all Dabo. You know, there was no other head coach that came in and then Dabo jumped in or whatever and and sustained it. You know, that was all Dabo. So I I think, uh, you know, also, you know, they've they've dropped, but like they're not they didn't drop the way Stanford dropped. You know, like, as he said, they won the ACC last year. They were undefeated in the ACC last year. I get it. They weren't as good as they were, you know, a few years earlier. But like, I don't know, I, 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 I totally get why he is pushing back as hard as he is. He's totally justified to push back the way he is. Like I said, in, in the, in the, if you were scoring that as a fight, uh, you know, I think Dabo won that, that angry call, but I also think that they're heading toward about a seven and five finish. Um, 
they they can't just you know go about their business, come back next year and expect to go eleven and one. He's going to have to make some changes. Most notably, he's going to have to go into the portal, just something he's resisted. But I don't really feel like he has a choice at this point because at this point it's not about. You know, I think in the last couple of years you're like, well, they're not that far behind where they were. They're really far behind where they were. They clearly need to upgrade their roster. Should we go to the mailbag? We should. As always, send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com. All uh, right. Let's start with the one that, you know, pretty timely, pretty on the, uh, you know, everybody's probably starting to wonder this from Jim Weber, loyal listener. If Jim Harbaugh's not in Ann Arbor next year, and this is me speaking, but, you know, I'm not, we're not necessarily saying because of the NCA stuff, like maybe he's going to the NFL. Who would you think would be Michigan's next head coach? Do you think they would promote highly praised offensive coordinator Sharon Moore? Or grab one of the hot head coaching names like Lance Leipold, Mike Elko, et cetera. My hunch is that they would be more inclined. I, I don't see their promoting from within, not in the wake of this. Like Sharon Moore, um, you know, has played a huge role in that program's, you know, development and rise. And certainly, you know, the back-to-back Joe Moore, Joe Moore Award winning groups. That's a lot on him. Um, a landslide pole might make a lot of sense. I think Mike Elko also would make a lot of sense. By the way, those are guys I think Michigan State would be looking at. I think what they would bring is a lot of stability, especially landslide pole. Um, not saying Mike Elko doesn't, but Mike Elko has only been a head coach for a year and a half. He's been impressive at what he's done at Duke. And you know what? Mike Elko's worked at all, you know, he's an Ivy League grad himself. He's worked at a lot of high academic program certainly at, at you know wake forest and notre dame among them now at duke i think those guys would be strong candidates for the michigan job especially a program that not just with the connor stallion stuff here but with the covid you know like they've had a lot of drama around it we haven't even talked about uh you know in a while on the matt weiss you know the co-offensive coordinator, you know, the the computer investigation going on there with the FBI involved. There was other drama, like our our colleague Austin Meek, a few, maybe a week or two ago, feels like a month ago, did this thing where he just kind of outlaid all the drama that is, uh, you know, unfolded in the last like year and a half connected to the program. While it has gone like 24 and one against the rest of the Big Ten, it's had a lot of that. I think if you're, if you're Ward Manual, I think the AD there, I think you probably would look for... Who do I think is a really good coach, who is a really good culture guy, who will come in here and we will not have a lot of turbulence and chaos. I don't want to say chaos, but you know, that's what it's been. And I think at some point, you know, you often follow one with something very different from the other. And I think Leipold and Mike Elko, I think would be very good choices for them. I think the challenge is that Michigan, more than most places, has always tried to keep it in the family. Um, the one time they didn't, Rich Rod, turned out to be a disaster. And it's interesting now that he's had now two stops since then. Rich Rod has been wildly successful at every other place he's been. That was bad timing. That was like he followed Lloyd Carr. There was nothing there. I think it, I think that was bad timing. Rich Rod's a really good coach. He's a really good coach, and you're right. It was bad timing. There was also just, I think, a natural skepticism toward, you know, this outsider who's not a Michigan man. And so, I mean, I'm not saying they they the bottom's going to fall out talent-wise. They're going to lose a lot of guys, a lot of NFL players. 
And, um, you know, so it can be one of the most respected coaches in the country. There might be some skepticism. And unfortunately for this guy, like they might not be in, they might not be a 11, 12 win team his first season. And then you're off to a bad start that way. And I think there might be some sympathy if there is a big, you know, big NCAA sanctions that get in the way, but it's should be one of the most. Who would you like to see? Uh, hold on a second. I, it should be one of the most desirable jobs in the country, right? I think it will and be. Yet, and yet, I'd be a little careful stepping in there because of the dynamics, because there's this, you know, it's kind of like when USC with their athletic directors at one point, although these Jim Harbaugh's obviously been more wildly successful, but, you know, Brady Hope, then Harbaugh, like there just seems to be a much of a preference for quote unquote Michigan men. Who would so I who, like? Yeah. Who would I, um, you know, I think Mike Elko is really good. I, I think, you know, if you were able to get him, you'd be really happy. Um, maybe that's not aiming high enough. We've seen in the last couple of years, LSU go out and get Brian Kelly and USC go out and get Lincoln Riley. You know, like you're Michigan. You can probably pay whatever you want. You could probably. Does that turn out to be the better hire, though? That's a splashier hire. Is it a better hire? I think you always want to get, you're always going to be better off getting somebody who's as proven as possible. Off the top of my head, though, I'm struggling to think of like, who's a really, really successful coach who's waiting to, who who would be open to making that move. I don't know. I think if my, you. My, Mike Norvell, you go out and get Mike Norvell. No, no, I even don't even think that would be necessarily a proven as Can proven I, as let me think. Let me step back one step. We do our top 25 coaching rankings every every winter. Mm-hmm. If I said to you, Lance Lyle, like how many college football coaches do you f- feel like in your heart of hearts right now are a better coach than Lance Leipold? Not many. Not many. Can you name me five? Okay, well, this is this you now this is the big challenge. When we go to I do these not. rankings in the spring. It's so hard to compare. I mean, Honestly, Kirby no. Smart would, would Kirby Smart be your number two? Just Behind on Saban? resume, yeah. So how do you compare Kirby what Smart Kirby Smart people did it did at Kansas? I'm not sure. That's the thing. It's so hard to compare. There's like a, I feel like in those best coaches rankings, we tend to almost after under underappreciate the guys who have done it at a big school maybe, like that. Name me somebody beyond Kirby Smart and Nick Saban, because we just ran, you just especially, ran down Dabo for five minutes. Jim Harbaugh would have been in our top five list. We know, you know, like, so we're... All right, I'll it. give you a good one. Who do you have, who would you have higher, Ryan Day or Lance Leipold? I'm, I probably See, would have It's extremely difficult to compare those two. I think Ryan Day is a terrific offensive mind. I like Ryan Day a lot. Ryan Day also took over for Urban Meyer when that thing was going. I don't know. You know, it's a different ask. Um, you know, same deal with Lincoln Riley. I mean, if you ask me, who do I think is a better coach right now? Right now? Again, I'm coming off watching him beat Oklahoma. But I'm also, Kansas football was horrible. And what he's done there. And it's not like the only thing he's done. If you ask me, who do I think is a better coach, Lance Leipold or Brian Kelly? Right now, I tell you Lance Leipold. Okay. I, I, you can talk me into that. I, I'm I'm a huge Lance Leipold fan, and I think what he's done is remarkable. And, and, to the, and to that point, I think Michigan State should back up a Brinks truck like they did with Mel Tucker 
to get Lance Leipold that job. Interesting. You know, my only hesitation with Michigan. The same job. They could be competing for the same. They coach. could be. My only hesitation with Michigan is what Lance Leipold has done so well is these massive rebuilding jobs. That's not the kind of job Michigan is. So like I said, like Lance Leipold has gone to places where you can go to and 10 the first year. Nobody's going to care. Right. You can't necessarily have you're not going to get that kind of leeway at Michigan. By the way, I'm surprised we haven't mentioned our two uh, West Coast darlings out here, uh, Kalen DeBoer and Dan Lanning. I mean, Dan Lanning, Dan Lanning, I, I joked to somebody the other day, is becoming like the um, off-the-field star of the 2023 season between the locker room speech and um, they put out this this video from the uh, Utah win where you get to see him in the meeting rooms and then the, you hear the um, the on the headset, like, I'd want to go play for that guy. What? No disagreement on either guy. Terrific coaches. Why? Like, if you're Dan Lanning, you're leaving Oregon for Michigan. Why? Because Michigan is one of the most, like, Oregon's a great job. Don't get me wrong. But don't you think Michigan is like Michigan one, now of those, one of those? Because of you're losing 15 to 20 NFL draft picks. Where do you have a better chance of winning a national title, Michigan or Oregon? I'm not sure there's a big difference. They're both going to the same conference. Mm, I still think Mich- Michigan has done it. Like Michigan is one of the blue bloods of the sport. Oregon's Oregon has come close. In the last they haven't done it yet. And I think it's going to be for two national titles came within a field goal of winning one. And I think it's going to be harder. I mean, the big, like they're the biggest challenge for Oregon is they're going to be playing like with a hand tied behind their back. They're they're You know, to be able to get into the big 10, they are taking a half what the other schools are going to be making. They're not going so. to be hurting for money and resources. Um, I disagree. Okay. Uh, speaking, I want to do this one because it it's like, we just talked about one Michigan guy. Um, people haven't necessarily noticed, but San Diego state has become a train wreck. And Scott in Amon Jordan asked after Brady Hoke has mercifully sent out to pastor, who's the next head coach for the Aztecs. First, let's just say, do you think Brady Hoke's going to get fired uh, this year? I definitely think the pressure is mounting on him. Yes. It's mounted in the last few weeks. Um, you know, they got a new stadium. I could see them looking at making a coaching change and trying somebody younger. Um, he had a 12 win season, his second year there and won yeah. the conference or no, won the division and then seven and six last year. And there are three and five this year and they've had some bad losses. So I, I do think there could be a coaching change there. Um, and that's one of the better group of five jobs out there. It is. There's a, like, I could see a bunch of assistants on the West Coast in the mix for that. You know, like, look, we've talked about Arizona the other day. There's two guys on that staff who have a lot of ties in Southern California who I could see getting serious consideration in it. Um, you know, both Brennan Carroll, who's been, who's been Jed Fish's right-hand guy, who's Pete Carroll's son, was a recruiting coordinator there. I could see him being in the mix. I could definitely see Jimmy Doherty, who was from who was spent a lot of time in San Diego. Also, those guys because you're talking about a program really successful. Ryan Grubb, offensive coordinator at Washington, another guy who I think, even though he's not a West Coast guy, I could see him being very intrigued by that job. Like I think there's a bunch of guys who have who are now in the Pac-12 who I think look at that and go, man. That is going to be about as tempting because, like I said, they have a really nice new stadium. You have a huge recruiting base. Um, 
you know, I'm sure there's like a handful of guys who are sitting um, group of five coaches who probably would want to come West too. You just don't know where they're going to be. What I wonder about is if they swung for the fences and said, all right, let's bring Jonathan Smith back to Southern California. Could they make a financial run to get him to leave? I doubt it because it's his alma mater, but it is Southern California where he's from. And there's a lot of positives to that job. All right. So let's wrap from this one from Gordon in Atlanta. There is a narrative that Kirby Smart is a great recruiter whose ability to build a roster with more talent that ne- than nearly every other team and is the biggest reason for Georgia's success. The narrative around Saban is that he's a, the greatest college coach of all time. While I fully endorse both of those statements, I wonder how long it will take for Kirby to be seen as a great coach and not just a great talent evaluator. Saban is the best to ever do it by a long shot, in my opinion. Mine too, Gordon, by the way. But it seems like he built his empire on teams that had the same type of talent disparity that Kirby's success is often attributed to. What do you? Uh, thanks for your content you provide, and happy Halloween. Thank you, Gordon. That's a, that's a great question. Um, I definitely think that's the reputation around Kirby is that he just basically assembled the best roster. But we have to also like keep a little bit of perspective here. Saban uh, did it. First, he did it at LSU. Then he goes to the Dolphin. He comes back and he does it at Alabama. So now he's got a track record, whereas Kirby's still in his first head coaching job. Saban has now won seven national titles. Kirby has won two. Um, What Kirby's done is phenomenal. I'm not trying to downplay it anyway, but if you want to try to start putting him in the conversation with Saban, he's probably going to have to keep doing it for a little bit longer. Um, I do think it's unfair to say it's all just uh, recruiting. Because he's starting to deal with the same thing Saban did, which is the original gang, the original staff you got together starts to get poached and you have to reassemble it. We just mentioned Dan Lanning earlier. You know, Dan Lanning gets the Oregon job. They come back and win the national title again the next year. Um, Todd Munkin was, you know, I think a huge hire uh, as OC and he left. And now they're going to try to win a national title with Mike Bobo um, and also Kirby evolved. Like he started out. There was no question. He was, he used to make fun of him for man ball and, and being really conservative and old style offense. And they throw the ball around now. So I, I think the narrative is already outdated. I get why it's still out there. Um, I think the narrative changes. I mean, he has a chance to do something. Nobody's done in what? 80 years, something like that, uh, win three straight national titles at that point. Come on. That's not just, that's not just recruiting. That's really good coaching. That's by the time you get to the third one, you, you're on to a different set of players. Um, I think one of the things that also distinguishes Saban is that, you know, the players cycle out every three years and he just keeps getting them to play to the same standard and the process and things the way he wants them to be done. And there's never a drop off like we're seeing at Clemson right now. So the longer Kirby goes on doing that, I think the more people are going to come around to that. The one thing I haven't quite figured out yet is why, like Saban is such an object of fascination and he always has been. 60 Minutes would go interview him. And, you know, I remember a few years ago, Mark Zuckerberg went and visited him and everybody wants to know like how he does it and what's his, and I just don't see that at all with Kirby. Like he's just still kind of a, you know, um, I don't want to say anonymous, but very little known. He's one dimensional. Not many people know like that much about 
Kirby Smart other than he's a great recruiter, um, which is crazy considering how many games in a row they've won. So curious to see when that all changes too, Bruce. All right, we got to run. As always, send your questions to pod at gmail.com. We have a fantastic set of games this weekend. Uh, LSU, Alabama, obviously. Washington, USC. Uh, two great games in the Big 12 and many more. So I think we're going to have a lot to talk about on Sunday. We'll see you next time.